Live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Treasure Island on a Friday, Cofield and Company. A little earlier start because we're uh, getting out of the way to get ready for UNLV football tonight. That's a 7:45 kickoff over at the Al. A 6:45 pregame with the Ted Weens UNLV football pregame show. Caleb Herring, Russ Langer, and myself taking you through that one. Matt Never will be over there as well. This is crazy, busy times around the UNLV community. We got a basketball game tomorrow with the Runner Rebels. The Lady Rebels' second game tonight because they actually opened on the road. They got a 10-point win in their opener. Curtis Terry's here for a couple hours with us at Treasure Island. So what's up, Curtis? What's up, Steve? I'm geared up. I'm ready to go to the game straight from here, too. I mean, you see me. I got my Rebs gear on, my UNLV gear. Got to nice. support them. Nice. Um, how do you feel about football and the, the success? And, I, you know, I actually, I think on a social media uh, post a little earlier, I used their resurgence, and I was like, yeah. I don't think that's the right word. Was there a resurgence before? Right, that's the problem. <laughs> but I couldn't think of the right word, so I just figured I'd put yeah. it out and people will rip me if they want to. Yeah. But uh, this season's been pretty impressive. It has been. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, hats off to, to Coach Barry Odom um, and his staff and the UNLV football program, what they've been able to achieve this year. I mean, 7-2, and two, getting bowl eligible, what, in their first seven games. Um, that's, that's amazing, considering the, the unfortunate lack of success that they've had over the years. Um, I know when I was at school at UNLV, I mean, from 04 to 08, we always went out to Sam Boyd Stadium. Um, there was a lot more tailgating that we did than actually watching the football games back then, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but now I think it's the other way around. I think people go and tailgate, but they're, they're staying inside the, the, the stadium a lot longer, watching games, supporting the Rebels. Um, and it's fun to see everybody getting rallied around them, especially with the success of the Golden Knights, the Aces, the Raiders. So it's good to get UNLV back in prominence in the town. And I do not believe in this era that – you can just be a basketball school unless you're Gonzaga right which doesn't is, have football is very very well funded and there's no football drain on the program at all and like I said very well funded or you're Wichita during the Greg Marshall era where the mm. Koch brothers were putting up millions and millions and millions, uh, millions to four facilities and to go by players right uh, back when you weren't supposed to be doing that but people <laughs> did um, it's hard so the people here were running rebel loyalists who are like i don't care about football you have to care about football football has to bring in money and with allegiant now and bigger capacity football has to win and football has to generate money yeah it all goes hand in hand i mean obviously what the fertitas did um uh, with the football complex over there um being able to get out of sam boyd obviously everybody loves sam boyd for what it was um it's a little archaic but now that you're at allegiant stadium um with the facilities it helps with recruiting uh, to get everybody involved in the town but then especially with the conference realignment you've got to have successful programs across the board. Obviously, the Olympic sports at UNLV have always been successful. Uh, we know what the Runner Rebels have done. Uh, but now adding football into the mix just makes you that much more attractive, uh, along with the medical school, the dental school, and everything that, that UNLV has to offer as a university. So if Barry Odom goes on to however long he's here for, right, and I hope he stays forever, um, he's well paid, but you know someone could come along in a couple of years with six mil a year. He's making about two, two and a half, I think, at the end of the deal, two, two, five, something like that. It's... It's money beyond my means, right? But if, if he builds this to a point where they make bowl games just about every year and they're winning seven, eight games, maybe a year where they win more, this could be that year. Right. He's going to go down as a legend in UNLV football history. 
Can I tell you that there have been contributors, though, to what they're doing? Yeah. And it's interesting. I forget who I was talking to the other day, and it just it struck a nerve because you mentioned the FFC, right? Mm-hmm. The Fertitta Football Complex. Those upwards are like $40 million. Yeah. And someone mentioned the other day, and I think UNLV has to have success moving forward from here, that they thought Tony Sanchez, say like 15 years from now, should go into the UNLV Hall of Fame as contributor slash coach. It's a little weird because he didn't get to see the finality of what he was building. But without him, does that initial build start? Because this build, people don't realize... Because they've just, they've just put wins and losses in their right. head. They don't realize the build started with Sanchez into Arroyo. Arroyo's got 25-plus guys mm-hmm. in the two deep here. Right. Naki Fahina was a Sanchez guy. Right. There are Sanchez guys who've been key the last couple of years. Is that a crazy thought that getting that much money and getting the FFC built is as significant to UNLV as anything that's happened if they're good moving forward? No, I think it's, it's, it plays a huge part into it. Now, if you, if you get into the UNLV Hall of Fame because of that and not having the wins, I mean, that's, that's a stretch. Um, but I think it, it it's just like when Mark Jackson built up the Warriors and then leaves and Steve Kerr gets to reap all the benefits, Ooh. right? And I would fight against that. Oh, if you, you can't. like Warriors Hall of Fame for Mark Jackson, I'd probably fight against it, but go ahead and make the case. Um, he, he built the culture. He established that culture, that identity of that team with those young guys. And then Steve Kerr just came in and, and, and let the floodgates loose in terms of playing free and open and, and fast and coming down in kind of seven seconds or less, ba- seven, seven seconds or less basketball. So Mark Jackson... Um, in that case, you I mean has is just as meaningful to the success of those Warriors starting out and building that dynasty um, as Steve Kerr. It's, he just got to come out, come in and oversee it and can continue that and to continue to let it grow. So I think it's kind of that same concept there. Um, as you see now with Barry Odom, um, obviously Sanchez had a big part of it in getting that place built um, and kind of changing the vibe around it, getting people to, to pay attention to, especially locally. Um, obviously, with you get Arroyo and what he did when he was at Oregon and coaching Justin Herbert, just getting some more draw and some eyes to the program, um, and then. Eric Harper goes and makes a splash by, by getting Barry Odom. You get him out of the SEC, you bring him here, and, and just the success that he's had so far in, in his eight games, I mean, it's or nine games, it, it's amazing to see. And um, But it, everybody plays a part in it, but how much success or how much, you know what I mean, flowers or kudos you're going to get for it, well, that, that has to be seen. Curtis Terry's with us, co-film and company, starting off early. So we go here at uh, 2 o'clock until 5 as we get ready for UNLV uh, football tonight. It's interesting. In the annals of Rebel history, run Rebel history, Tark's teams at the end of his run, 89-90, are some of the greatest teams in college basketball history. Right. Should have been back-to-back champions. Mm-hmm. Anderson Hunt was a big part of that team. Ooh. He's going into the Hall of Fame. We're going to talk about Anderson a little more later in the show. You know, you remember the next year, right? That's when all hell broke loose. <laughs> and, you know, UNLV had a season, that final season. And I actually, I played this, like, I, I witnessed the smallest part of this. Mm-hmm. And I don't think when I was in school I even realized what was going on. That next year, right before the season, they found out, like, all hell's broken loose. Mm-hmm. You're screwed. <laughs> right? You're not going to be in the tournament. Right. And then the fight was on. And that was a good team. That was Isaiah Ryder mm-hmm. and Dexter Boney and Elmore Spencer mm-hmm. and some other legendary names in, in UNLV history. Uh, the reason I mentioned I was part of it on the East Coast is they made a trip 
I think it was back to back or whatever. First like two or four games, Missouri and Rutgers. Okay. And they actually lost at Rutgers. Ooh. And I was in the arena. I was like, that was one of the loudest games I've ever been at. It was incredible. But I don't, you know, I don't. I didn't realize what was going on right. then on the East Coast. That that was kind of the the end of things. Are you watching what's going on in Michigan in sort of mm. a similar fashion mm. as now the news came down in the last couple of hours, Curtis, that Jim Harbaugh, unless they get an injunction or they, they have to first choose to use the legal system, they're either on their way to Penn State or they were on the ground in Penn State when they found out, or at least we found out out front with the news, that Harbaugh is not going to be allowed to coaching these games. By the way, Pete Thamel and ESPN keep putting up Harbaugh has a three-game sideline suspension, which I don't know if that means he could coach from upstairs. They, I, I heard another show today over on Fox Sports was trying to clarify that. Um, but he's not supposed to be coaching these next three games. Mm-hmm. By the way, Penn State and Ohio State in that mix, and Maryland, if I'm correct. What is it like as an athlete? And I'm sorry I went on this whole diatribe to set it up. No, I get it. But huh? what's it like as an athlete <laughs> So, you know, you have, like, high hopes. You're in the middle of a season as a national championship favorite, and all of a sudden you're like, again, we're dealing with the coach not being on the sidelines to coach the game? Oh, well, this is this is perfect for me because I have no experience being in a national championship <laughs> environment of, of possibly going to be in winning one yeah. and then having something yeah, like this the, happen. By the way, you have no experience on the collegiate <laughs> yeah. level working, working under a dirtbag. No. Because Lon Kruger's about as good no, as it gets. for sure. Um, I can't imagine. I mean, but it, it's it's got to be – something that's where I would imagine that the players don't know what was going on to this extent. Now, they probably knew that, hey, we've got some extra intel because coaches were working really hard, watching a lot of film, whatever the case may be. And so in that case, you're just going to use the information that you have. I don't think they knew it was to this level of what it's, you mean, reportedly as or suspectedly was going down. Allegedly. That's the craziest part here. Alleged. Um, But... It's got to make them feel a certain way because these guys work so hard and feel like they were achieving something. And on the back of your head, it's like, maybe are we were we cheating? Were we not really that good? Now, nonetheless, they still won those games. But I would I would make it I would make the statement that it would make me feel a certain way about the coaches and the coaching staff for putting them in that position because ultimately the kids are going to be the ones that get penalized for it because he's still going to Harbaugh and they're all still going to get paid. Yep. The kids are going to be the ones going to get jeopardized or going to be penalized for it, and then moving forward, the recruits that come after them are going to get suspensions. They're not going to be able to play in bowl games and, and such, and that's where it becomes an issue. Um, and I think it's very unfortunate and very unfair, especially when I mean grown men are, are doing these things that are going to impact these young men moving forward. Damon, I finally got someone to agree with me that all this stuff. Well, I mean the crap's hit the fan now, but I said multiple times this week to different guests, I'm like, all of this swirling around the program has to affect the players in some way and most people came on were like nah well how who would say that we had multiple guests say hey you know what i'm gonna question right, these right to mind guests. you remember people pushing back at me i'm like this has to affect you at some point it, as an athlete right to yeah it does steve but i think people were pushing back at that they still should be punished even if it's not your fault the, yeah. the player shouldn't be punished. Oh, we have, there's a guy, uh, Indy Star, who said his Heisman vote will not go to J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback. But he All shouldn't right. be in consideration anyway, Steve. He's not a Heisman quarterback. Well, let's, play, let's play the game. What, what, <laughs> let me tell you, if, if J.J. McCarthy goes out the next three weeks in games against Penn State and Ohio State and throws 14 touchdowns and an interception and averages 295 a game in the air, he's a Heisman candidate. That's how quick it can change. Right. No vote. No That's vote. ridiculous because the kid doesn't even play on defense. That's, 
The, the makes, make it make sense. The, guy, the guy's quarterback. Well, I mean, the, the sign stealing could work. There's not as many signs on defense. I don't think they're out there stealing defensive signs and these kids picking them apart that quickly. Yeah. Because then his numbers would be off the charts and he would be the clear-cut favorite to be the Heisman winner. But it helps him when he gets to work on that lead, you know, and just you know, that's why his completion percentage is so good. Because he's he still doesn't not have a Heisman to, contender right now, you're saying, though. So it's not, not helping him that much. Oh. But he doesn't have to worry about, you know, you know, fighting and, you know, he's just got to worry about maintaining the lead that his defense is building up for him because the other team can't score because they know the plays that are coming. So the focal point here is the guy at the Indy Star, I'm assuming, didn't play very much in a competitive environment. Um, I'm going to go no, on a limb and say attack. that. No, I'm not a say, but he, he has trained mixed martial arts. I, I know of Greg Doyle, so be careful. He no, but so that. that's fine. But you're but not you're in the right, locker room. I don't, you're, I don't you're, think he played. Yeah. yeah, but so in the locker room, you're impacted by that because now around town, you're reading it, especially on social media. You're seeing it. People on campus are probably saying it to you. Reporters and media are definitely asking these guys about it. So it's impacting these young men regardless of if they did it or not. They're thrown into the mix now because of the decision that these grown men took um, to get that competitive advantage, which it's not an advantage. I mean, you're just cheating. Um, and that's that's what becomes unfortunate because now, I mean, it's just tainting everything that Harbaugh built there and who knows how long this was going on for. Grab a menu. What do you want? We got Loco Moco Ooh, yeah. here. We got carne asada fries. Got, uh, I think, some of the best chicken tenders in town. Uh, I don't know if there's wings. I know we have the wing challenge on the road with Broadcaster oh, yeah. Bites with UNLV. But Curtis Terry's here. He's here for the next couple hours. We're going to talk uh, what happened game one and start looking ahead to running Rebels game two. More on the Rebel football team. Lots of NFL preview, a big college football weekend. 55-plus TVs to come down, watch all the action today, tomorrow, Sunday, seven days a week. They're open late. The betting kiosks are open 24-7. It's the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. Free parking, free self-parking, and free valet parking as well. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. All right, back here on this Friday, a little bit of an early start, 2 o'clock. We'll go 2 to 5 before UNLV football right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Curtis Terry's weather. He's helping out co-host, the uh, voice of the running Rebels analyst, voice of the Rebels, of course, John Sandler. I'll be out there tomorrow. As uh, And there's so much going on. I'm trying to promote all this stuff, and I'm like, what am I doing? Uh, we have TV tomorrow, too. So oh, yeah. Silver State Sports and Entertainment Network uh, tomorrow for that. Um, the women's game tonight, also on the Silver State Sports and Entertainment Network. Uh, football on FS1, so that's a good thing. So we'll lay out the schedule for you. A lot of Rebel action coming up. All right, well, let's get to the uh, nitty-gritty, right? It is only one game. And I know people love the panic, and of all the programs at UNLV, the Runner Rebels is... That's the one that's the most scrutinized. That's mm-hmm. the one that is the sky is falling at every freaking bad half, every missed free throw, right. which I appreciate. It's You want that kind of passion, and football probably would have been doing better sooner if there was that kind of passion at forcing the school to get its crap together. It looks like it's got it together. Listen, they played a terrible first half, and I don't know why, Curtis. They came out not ready to play, and, and Kruger told me, you know, going into the half, it's like, we got to play harder. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes with the territory, though. So, I mean, if, if, like, if, like, if you have haters, it's because you're doing something right. And so if people are critiquing UNLV basketball already after one game, um, it's because they've done something right in the past or people have high expectations. So I welcome that. I suppose if people don't care, that means they're probably not watching. Um, but it was one game, and it was – and I think Kevin said this will never play that bad again. I don't think I've ever seen a UNLV team play that bad of a game 
Well, uh, Webster said the same thing. Justin Webster was like, I've never been involved in something that bad. No. I mean, it was bad across the, across the board. And I've been around the program, obviously, for a long time. And you have stretches when you play that bad or a half. That was a bad, bad, bad game of basketball. I mean, there was just so many blown coverages. It looked like they hadn't even practiced before in terms of some of the coverages against pick and rolls. Um, I'm not going to completely tear them down, but we know that they're better than that because we've seen them. And they played, obviously, in the two close-door scrimmages and, and competing against the two teams that they did. They played very, very well. Oh, they lost by three to USC, and they played a close game against Missouri State. Yeah, well, they so played well against Missouri State. I think it's. I think it was just a. It was a fluke. I mean, and I don't think Justin Webster's ever going to start a game again, going one of six from three and two of eight from overall. That set a bad tone. Oh, always. because they were good looks too. I think we would go three of sixteen in the first half from three. I'd say fourteen, thirteen to fourteen of them were wide open. Nobody within range to even contest. You just got to make those shots, and I think they will. Uh, but it's just unfortunate that they played out like that because there was a good crowd that came out, really good student section. Um, and it's, I think it set the bad tone. So I think that they really took that to heart, and I know these guys care. And I know Kevin and his staff obviously care, so they're going to fix this thing like they did the last two days. I'm sure they're going to have a much better effort and performance tomorrow afternoon against Stetson. All right, explain the issue with the pick and roll, because after the game, Kevin Kruger started to explain that, hey, they hadn't covered the three-point line well against USC and Missouri State, so they were trying to make that adjustment. And then he just kind of stopped, and he's like, nah, that's all I have. Like, basically, it just it didn't work. Right. Uh, and I think it just comes out of frustration, because that's what he said, too. I mean, Going into it, they were like they didn't want to allow just wide open catch and shoot threes like uh, like Southern did to them. I mean, UNLV just caught, caught catch and shoot wide open, just didn't make them. UNLV their goal was to run these guys off the three point line, um, but in doing so, I think on the weak side they were hugging their man too closely, and so when that mid screen pick and roll at the top of the key was happening, the big guy would pick and he would roll down the lane, and the guy from the corner weak side wouldn't come over and jam him up and, and help because they were too worried about the shooter. Um, or they just weren't involved and engaged in the play and weren't playing five-on-five man defense. They were playing one-on-one defense, um, and it just kept happening repeatedly. And you could almost see, like, Justin Webster one time, like, it, he didn't rotate, and you could see his face like, oh, what am I doing? I know I'm supposed to be there. Same thing with Luis Rodriguez. Um, and we've seen these guys do it over and over, and especially Justin. He's such a good position defender, um, and Luis is a really good defender as well. So I, I know these guys can do it, and I don't think it's a lack of caring. I think it's just a lack of – you start to get in a funk, you're not making shots, and everything just went south very, very quickly. I'm hopeful that Rob Whaley is going to be a really good offensive player and a versatile guy. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't like what I saw from Big Carl and Rob together on defense. That no. needs work. Yeah, no, I, and, and I think that's the biggest thing. It's going, to take a time, it's going to take time for these guys to come together as a group um, and for the players to find their form, but also for the coaches to be able to find their rotations. And it's hard to do that when you're without KB, when you're without Shane Noel, because those guys are going to play a lot of minutes, um, and the position that they play is going to allow other guys to play more of their natural position. And so that all impacts everything because what they've been practicing, they, haven't been, they weren't able to do it on Wednesday night because they don't have those guys in there and playing those rotations and playing those lineups. And so I think it all comes together at some point. Uh, but I think what Rob Whaley did show, that one move he had in the post off the inbounds, a little shake and then fade away, like, that's a smooth shot, and he's quick and light on his feet. But I think it's going to take some adjusting for him to be able to go from playing in junior college, even though it was at a high level, to Division I college basketball and the speed and what he's asked to do. Because, again, he's now a different player than he was when he was in college because he's gotten in shape and gotten worked on his body. DJ Thomas, first half, five turnovers. He kind of struggled, got a little sloppy. He got sped up. Yep. Um, I think the left hand might still be affecting him a little bit. Mm. Second half, much better. Or was it not much better? Did I get fooled by the score, the, just the fact that he no. scored? He made some, no, it was, it was definitely better. Okay. Um, and I, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to bash anybody. The kids, 
he's a reclass um, freshman. He just he should be in high school right now, right? Um, he's really really good. He's going to be really really good. You could it looked like he was a freshman that was just a little out of sorts to start that game. Yeah. And they had so typically he's the littlest guy on the court, so his advantage is speed. They had a guy who was littler, probably just as quick uh, if not I, quicker. Uh, I had to shout him out on the TV side. That guy Jax, um, he was fast. He was strong. Yeah. He bullied DJ a little bit right. in the first half. He wound up playing. I think it was 24 minutes, no turnovers, no points, but he had an impact on the oh game. Oh, my gosh. He changed the whole game right from the start. Yep. He just he, he got on DJ's hip. He rode him out of bounds, made him turn it over, just frustrated him. And that does, I don't think that's ever happened to DJ before because he's usually the quickest guy. Uh, and to go against a quick, small, strong guy in your first game, that's tough. And he didn't play in those scrimmages, right? And so and when you're uh, figuring that's, – That's a good point, too. That's I'm his, stealing that for tomorrow night. This is his first – college basketball experience division one aside from you know, control scrimmages against your own team and so it's it's a different environment it's a different animal a different animal but he went out and had five turnovers two points five turnovers terrible first half but he came back clearly settled down clearly figured out how he could be successful um, was able to knock down some shots was able to make some plays ended up with five assists so again from first half to second half he got much better i think he's going to be 10 times better on saturday than he was on wednesday but it's going to start with him unfortunately because that point guard position is so important but it's just going to fall on him to be able to set the tone and get his teammates going because they're going to have success if he's having success to get them success. So DeMond, before the game, said, hey, you know what? I'm a little concerned about the scorers. Then he followed up the next day and sent me a, a message, a topic, and he's like, I told you there's a concern with scorers. DeMond? Not just scorers, Curtis. I said no bucket getters. I don't know who on this team, not just into the shot clock, who is the, who's the best shot creator on this team because I don't know who it is. Uh, shot creator for themselves? Yeah, they can create their own shot. You know, it's a good question. Um, I think Shane Noel can be that guy. You saw stretches last year when Shane, if when Shane's in, in shape and he's got the right spot. Now with the confidence in the open floor and having the ball, he'll be able to do that. Um, I think Luis can get his own basket. But by I think the way, that's the, by the way, Lou Rod scored whenever he wanted in the second half. He yeah. got a, he got off to a really Slow bad start, and he scored. Uh, I. Yeah, I was talking to Kruger today. The media was, and I, you know, I mentioned, hey, do you want more aggression out of uh, Jalen Hill? I think Jalen Hill can get downtown yeah. and then uh, downtown downhill and then take contact. I also think DJ, mm -hmm. once he you know gets acclimated, he can create his own shot. So, and tr trust me, yeah. last year, <laughs> this is the guy who told you that the end of the shot clock guy and the shot creator was going to be Elijah Harkless, and who did yeah. it turn out to be? Yeah. Elijah Harkless. All right, that's true. I remember that one. Um, I think I was sitting on my couch when we were having that conversation, you, me, and Adam. Um, uh, but I think the beauty of it, so there's no Bryce Hamilton. There's no Elijah Harkless. I don't have a problem with that because at, at times it was really, really fun to watch. Yeah. Guys put up buckets, especially when we were at Colorado State and Bryce had that huge game. Yeah. But ultimately that wears on you don't win as many games. So in this case, not being predictable and knowing you don't just got to stop one guy, you got to stop multiple guys, and you got a point guard who can score, pass, and create. Anything can happen. Now back to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. You know, F1's coming to town, and a great spot to attend the watch parties is Gillies right here at Treasure Island. We're over at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar uh, each night, Thursday through Saturday, 8P to 2A is uh, where the parties or when the parties will be going on. So contact Treasure Island and find out because there's limited seats available. I think less than 50 seats in uh, Gillies. They have bar seats available. So this is the place to watch. Treasure Island, F1, 
coming up next Thursday is when it starts. And again, the watch parties are 8P to 2A. Curtis Terry's with us. We're going to do a little Wyoming football preview in less than 10 minutes. We'll get you uh, all ready for the Cowboys side as they take on UNLV at Allegiant tonight at 745. 645 right here on ESPN 1100. And 100 point out of them with the Ted Weens UNLV pregame show. I'm afraid to go to this, but mm. we trust him on. And we love Stephen A. Smith. He's very funny. He's very entertaining. Uh, Damon, what's that show that you like with, uh, what is it? It is what it is? It is what it is. With? Cameron and Mace. And you believe that Stephen A., when he does radio, is trying to do some something like that. Yeah, he's trying to be more laid back. You know, he's like, I don't have to just talk about sports. So someone asked him a question, and this is just Stephen A. responding to it. Big C. It's called at it's underscore B-I-G-C. He writes, Stephen A., worst day of the week to be horny. Worst day of the week to be horny to me is Sunday night. Because chances are most people got to work Monday morning. And the week hasn't started yet. And a lot of times you want to get, you want to relax, wind down and enjoy the end of the weekend before you get into the muck and mire, the, the, the hustle of the week. I mean, I'm assuming you're going to do what you're going to do several times a week. But the worst day to be horny is Sunday. The best day is a Friday and Saturday night. I'll just stop it there. What do you guys think? Why has he got to say horny like that? <laughs> Why does he have to start whispering horny. as if he's... <laughs> Wooing a woman. Does he really do that? Like, I'm horny. I'm horny. I'm from New York. It's that <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, though. That is a great question, and he went right into it. He was all about it. So I, I, don't, I don't know. Do you guys have an answer? What is the worst day? I mean, the logic he laid out for Sunday night, it's good logic. I don't agree with it. I'll jump into this one. So when I was married, um, Sunday, I'm just like, Sunday nights are... You do like family activities during the day. Yeah. Um, Married with kids, by the way. Yeah, you you go do family you do family activities. Uh, you maybe you can play outside or whatever you're doing, or sometimes swimming. But you get to get the football season. Like we're watching Sunday night fo- fo- Sunday. You're watching some football all day. Sunday night football starts. You eat dinner in between. You maybe finish it. The kids go take their baths or whatever. Then you move upstairs. We watch Sunday night football. Like by that time, uh, yeah, it's bedtime. Let's be real. I mean, honestly, this year the primetime games have been so bad. Yeah. It probably is a good time to be horny. This is true. Right? Every Sunday night and Thursday I, nights are good days um, this season. I'm actually going to the Jets and Raiders. So, I don't know what how I'm going to be feeling because I'm a Jets fan. <laughs> You're going to be feeling a certain way. I'm, well, I may be taken out on a stretcher, either punched in the face, knocked out, or just stone cold drunk. I think it all depends on what stage you are in your life, right? Because I, I mean, there's times in college where Sundays are probably good days. I mean, DeMond's the young one, and he's not answering. I said I liked his logic for Sunday because oh, people got to work. And it's, yeah, I got work tomorrow. You know, you're trying to hit up people on your roster and, you know. Your roster. <laughs> it's, your also, book. it's also the Lord's Day, right? It's a day of rest. Let's, let's take that one off. Is there a guilty feeling? Is yeah. that what happens? Go repent your sins, yeah. Is, sure. uh, I'll, I'll keep doing this and just get us in trouble. Um, <laughs> is, is Stephen A. also claiming, it sounded like a time issue. Is Stephen A. also claiming to be like a, a long man, like it's just hours? Mm. I'm not. I'm not. Because you get to a certain age, you get to a certain age. Like, all right, I got a couple minutes. That'll do it. I'll I'll tweet at him next and try to get on next week's episode. Hey, Stephen A. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he is. He's fifty plus. So, I want to know though from from 
at big underscore C or whoever this dude was. Where <laughs> did this question come why? from, bro? Why? Like, why? What made you say, hey, Stephen A., what days do you not like to get horny? <laughs> you know, I, I used to ask this question and questions like this of Dr. Ruth back in the day. I'm not saying me. This is the, uh, the guy who tweeted it in. He's like, I got to lean on someone who's probably a sex expert. So let me, let me ask Stephen A. Yeah. Why not? The love doctor, Stephen A. That's going to be his new show. Stephen A. Smith after dark. I don't know, man. His uh, his takes on women are a little bit weird sometimes. So, but it must be working. I bet she has a good game. I bet she's having good success. Does he have a, does he have a girlfriend? Do we know? She's probably got a roster, like Demond said. Yeah, that's probably the way to do it. But does he have like so like in NBA terms? Has he got like a super team, or does he got is he like a I don't know like the Hornets? <laughs> <laughs> Or you like the Houston Rockets? A lot of few, a lot of bright future young stars, but just not quite seasoned yet. I mean, I think I actually think the most admirable, and people will hate this because they hate this guy, was Tiger Woods. Because Tiger's like, I will go, I'll have a Hornet one night, I'll have a championship, uh, you know, Denver Nugget another. Mm-hmm. I lo- I still love the Perkins lady. I love her. I forget her name, but that was great. He had like all these supermodels with just you know fake bombs, and then it's just like the Perkins waitress with the fro. Mm. He's like, I got to do what you got to do. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we got role players. <laughs> Not everybody's a starter or a superstar. Yeah, but we're all we're all winners in our own right. Not misogynist at all. We turn the page. We'll get to the Wyoming Cowboys in five. You are listening to Cofield and Company live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Early Friday start for Cofield and company. We're here at Treasure Island. You heard it. Uh, let's get into the Wyoming Cowboys. One of the experts we like to have on from 7220 Sports is Cody Tucker. He's up with Curtis Terry, the former running rebel and Cofield. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Always appreciate you. Um, how was your trip? You are here, so how was your trip to Vegas? Oh, beautiful as always. Uh, minus uh, I brought my two-year-old daughter, and it was her and I alone on the flight. So, uh, oh wow, I uh, had some anxiety about that all week. But uh, turns out we were both exhausted, and it worked out just fine. All right. Well, with a two-year-old, that kind of makes the Vegas trip a little bit different, right? In terms of going out and getting crazy. <laughs> uh, I've done the Vegas thing for a long, long time, so I probably right. needed one of these kind of trips. Yeah, we all do, and I live here, and I say that. Um, all right, so first off, I cannot remember back, and I probably should have just gone back and listened, but the season preview when we had you on, um, how optimistic were you on this Wyoming Cowboys team? Because I think they've had a pretty good season here. I mean, they're still looking for a road victory, but 6-3 and three, uh, in the mix in the conference is a pretty solid start to the season. Yeah, you know, I was one of those that was uh, very perplexed, I guess, at Mountain West Media Days when the Cowboys were picked to finish sixth. Uh, they just... They have too many good players on this team, too much, too much veteran leadership, and and something that kind of separates teams, especially in these, uh, you know, uh, G5 conferences, is depth, and the Cowboys have a ton of it. And uh, I was a little shocked. I knew, you know, Andrew Peasley uh, doesn't exactly didn't exactly light it up last year, so so much of it rests on the shoulders of the quarterback, and uh, he's played really well this year, guys. Uh, you know, he's thrown for almost 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns compared to only four interceptions. Uh, really good with his feet. Uh, he's really made the difference so far. All right, I want to break down the Cowboys in a couple of different facets and talk more about Peasley, but the other side of this is UNLV, and I saw you tweet a little earlier in the week about the combined record of some of the opponents, and the, yeah, it's it's fair. Um, there are a lot of people around the conference who are looking at UNLV at 7-2, and two and they're still like, I just don't know. So you're kind of there, too, where you want to see it before you believe it? 
You know what? I, I I believe it because the proof's in the pudding, and their and their stats are their stats have been incredible. You know, I haven't been able to watch it. Some of the rebels, obviously, they they played a lot at the same time as Wyoming, but uh, man, this quarterback's a real deal. This offense is uh, <laughs> this offense just has so many different formations, and they're running out of the twenty-one a lot. The two running backs back there, and you know, it, I, I think Wyoming's jealous of the way when you look at the stats. You know, five six different rebel running backs getting a ton of work. Ton of yards, and most importantly, finding the end zone. And uh, they just—they've been really impressive. And then Ricky White, of course, uh, just—he's been lights out. I wrote a story this week comparing him to Torrey Horton, and Craig Bull completely agreed. When Torrey Horton's healthy, him and Ricky White are the two best wide receivers in this conference. Yeah, the craziest thing is if I told you back when we talked in August that Doug Brumfield would go down, I think most people yeah. in the conference would be like, "They're going to have two wins." <laughs> oh yeah, no, no question, no question. It, Especially putting this on the, the shoulders of a redshirt freshman quarterback. Boy, has he been impressive, man. Just looking at his past and his journey and the teams that recruited him and, and, and UNLV finally getting a guy from, you know, who went to high school here to stay here, um, who was that heralded. It's just, uh, he's proven it, man. He's proven them right. And uh, Marcus Arroyo didn't leave the covered bear for sure. Hey, Cody, this is Curtis. And, and obviously for someone like you that, that watched a lot of Mountain West football, um, from your from your perspective, what is it that is the biggest difference from this UNLV football team from teams in the past that's allowing them to have the success? Man, just you know, they they've had a nice running back over the last handful of years, but now I think they're just they're so balanced on offense. Uh, before, I think it was pretty safe to say it was pretty easy to kind of make them one dimensional, as well as Wyoming. Uh, now they'll burn you through the air, they'll burn you on the ground, they'll do whatever they got to do. So, and the defense is playing well, being really opportunistic, plus nine in the turnover margin. I mean. That's going to win you a lot of ball games, Cody. I've got to ask: with Wyoming this season, it looked like they were one of the best teams in the Mountain West. But what happened against Boise State? <laughs> That's a million-dollar question, right? Uh, Greg Bull's answer to me was trying to save his team and not throw them under the bus. But he said he didn't do a good, good enough job conveying how just how good Boise State's program was, and that no matter what their record is, that's still a roster full of four-star, three-star, and four-star guys. Uh, they just, they were thoroughly outplayed, thumped, out to lunch, looked hungover. It was absolutely, it was one of the worst performances. You know, I'm a Wyoming guy. I'm born and bred. I uh, went to a lot of Wyoming games growing up, and I have never seen a better team perform worse in Wyoming history. I mean, it was that, that bad. Didn't cross the 50-yard line once all day long. Um, it was just a really horrible performance, and, you know, luckily for them, the schedule worked out where they played Border War rival Colorado State last week. Uh, had to get up for that 100%, and they did, and uh, looks, they look to be back on track here. Cody Tucker, 72-20 Sports, is with Cofield and company as we're getting ready for Wyoming. And UNLV tonight kickoff on FS1 is at 745, and, of course, you can hear the game as always right here on ESPN Las Vegas. So, for me, uh, watching UNLV over the years, and they've only played Wyoming a couple of times in recent years, I have battle scars because when I see Wyoming, I think that you're going to get punched in the face and then you're going to take body blows and then you're going to get punched in the face again. And I just, I'm so intrigued by this matchup. Is Wyoming traditionally as physical as it's been? Because then this is one of the toughest tests the Rebels have had all year. Because you remember last two meetings, it was like 98-31. And I keep bringing up, there was a 53-17 game up there. And I'm sitting on yep. the sidelines, and they start playing the cowboy music, and the crowd's going crazy. And I'm like, they're going to score 80. 
I mean, that's how physically <laughs> dominant they have been in, you know, the, the, the only two meetings over the last, like, seven years. Yeah, man, that's still their M.O. It's, it's just being tough up front, running the football first and foremost. And for the first time in a long time, guys, Harrison Whaley is healthy. And, you know, when you look at his numbers, the Northern Illinois transfer, it's just crazy. He's essentially missed four games. And he still has 686 rushing yards. I mean, the guy is dynamic. He's a home run hitter. Uh, started to get his swag back a little bit last week against CSU. And uh, he's just, he really makes a difference, man. He's one of those guys that if he makes one miss and the offensive line takes care of their job, he's gone. He outraced the Texas uh, Texas secondary with ease in week three and uh, rolled off three three straight 100-yard-plus games. And he's just a, he's a real difference maker, guys. And then also, you know, Andrew Peasley, too, with his feet. He, it all starts up front. Uh, Craig Bull makes no bones about it. You know, Barry Odom uh, obviously was at Missouri when Wyoming beat Missouri in 2019 opening season. Uh, he knows exactly what kind of Cowboys team he's going to get. It uh, looks like the Rebel defense is going to have to cover or be challenged by something that really hasn't been challenged by often this year. The Cowboys have really good tight ends, a good tight end passing game. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, Trayton Welch and John Michael Gillenborg, really fast, really big really good hands uh been utilized this year too more than ever uh those guys both are hovering around 200 yards they both have a couple touchdown passes and they're both really good in the run game too so you don't really lose anything and they don't really show their hand when those guys are in because they'll run it 14 straight times with those guys in or they'll throw it 10 straight times so uh really really good weapons for this offense cody why has wyoming struggled defending the run they're around what 87th in the country over 170 yards allowed yeah, bizarre. Uh, it really has been. A lot of injuries up front. And really, the anchors of that defensive line, Cole Goodwell and Jordan Bernal, the two defensive tackles, they've uh, they've been nicked up pretty good. Uh, you know, the Cowboys didn't get their bye week until week eight. So, uh, you know, when you play Texas and Texas Tech and, and Air Force and those kind of teams, you just go through the gauntlet a little bit. Fresno State, uh, just a lot of wear and tear on those bodies. But, man, the depth has developed behind those guys. And uh, they're not afraid to rotate, and you'll see that a lot tonight. The defensive tackles rotate about every couple snaps. And, you know, guys, I'm not 100% on this, but I'm half wondering if that's been a little bit of an issue. They rotate a lot. You're going to see that a lot tonight. And it, it, it makes you wonder if they've been able to get into a rhythm, uh, you know, in some of these games. How is Wyoming's kick coverage game, especially against punts, because it's been one of the strengths? Field position battles have been won consistently by UNLV, led by the returner, Jacob De Jesus. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, last week they dealt with Torrey Horton. Not 100% Torrey Horton, but still scary. And uh, they kicked it away from him. They kept the ball away from him all day. I would expect the exact same today from De Jesus uh, or anybody who's back there, honestly. They just they haven't been porous per se, but it hasn't been a strength. Special teams in general have not been a strength of the Cowboys this year, which is which is bizarre. Usually it's uh, the passing game that everybody has circled as being the complete red mark in this program, but honestly, special teams have really been a letdown this year. 7220 Sports, this is a spot to go for uh, coverage of all Wyoming Cowboy and Cowgirl coverage. Uh, women's basketball team is excellent as well. Alright, we got to close on this one. Uh, we do a food podcast, UNLV Broadcaster Bites. We rate what we get on the road out and about, but we also talk about the food spread at Allegiant. It's one of the better food spreads, and they try to theme it. They try to match it to the market they're playing. What would you have on a Wyoming? What would you have on a Laradice menu? Oh, well, you got to start with steak, right? I mean, you'd have to have some maybe a medium rare ribeye, uh, some prime rib, and then uh, 
polish that off with some dessert, also known as Coors Banquet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to have beers for us, but I, I agree. Uh, I would absolutely love that. Um, we, have, we have one person on the show. He's kind of the lead on the show. Caleb Herring is a former quarterback at UNLV. And the one thing that really fires him up about the spread at Allegiant is they always have a fake meat option. Where You just mentioned Ooh. steak. Oh, are you intrigued by that? Are you in- there? You go because he he, 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 go, he goes crazy. He hates fake meat. He's like, get it out of here. <laughs> yeah. What, what? Another thing that would be good in Laramie though is maybe some Rocky Mountain oysters if, if you like. Seafood. Oh wow. Okay. You have to be a little. <laughs> you have to be a little ballsy to have the. Uh oh. I did it. All right, dude. I I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming in, and we'll see you over at the stadium in just a little bit. Appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Do you like Laradice? I love Laramie. You do? Yeah. Because all I, I've told you before, and I'm, you may have witnessed it, all I do is fall there. Yeah. Because that G-damn snow, yeah, it's icy. Ice. I slip all the time. I got stuck downtown like four years ago. I don't know if you weren't on the trip, right? Mm. I went out. I could not get there's – one, there's one Uber Lyft driver. Yeah, there's literally he's, he's one. Got, he's got a pickup truck, and he was, he was doing something. I, I, I went out. The, the other thing is downtown's like not open on Monday. Half the bars are closed. Right. I went out. I was out from like 9 to 11. I'm like, okay, now I'll go home. And it was an hour to get an Uber. I had six more beers. I was like, pass out drunk. <laughs> and that truck that truck driver could have taken me, the pickup truck driver, mm, anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere in Laredes. I, I like Laramie. I mean, we always, it's, I can't remember, it's, it's right in the one place I know. It's right across the street from Applebee's. And Applebee's is always cracking in Laramie, on, especially on Friday <laughs> nights. I remember I went in there once. I'm talking, it was wall to wall, like 45 minute wait. Um, but there's a place right across the street from there. Um, it's a bar. They got, a, they got billiards, they got pool tables, and they've got uh, the popcorn machine. It's the only place I remember, but we always go there every trip. I don't know what it's called, but I, I've got no problem with Laramie. The bars are good. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's a small area, and it's blistering cold. A lot of times they're in football, but absolutely, you're, you're looking no. at teens or 20s yeah. when basketball goes up there. But it's, it's nice. Coming from here when it's always just the hustle and bustle to go to those places, to go to, like, to Boise, to go to Logan, to go to Laramie, just a little quiet and a little hometown feel. Logan. Yeah, Logan. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, they've got one. They've got one Uber driver too. Remember the guy who worked at yep. the school and he picked us up yep. last year. <laughs> That's another like forty-five minute effort to get an Uber. And uh, they did open a real bar though, like sort of a college-y a sports bar, right? Is um, it the one we went to? No, not the White Owl. No, 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 the one we ate at. I think it's where they do was where the basketball team does a radio show. Wasn't that it? Maybe. Yeah, we'll be there again. Yeah. I w- I was very proud of Logan. Last time I went there, I. Uh, I was walking back by myself late night, and there was a kid in, like, a full jean outfit, like like some oh. faded jeans and a jean jacket, just out cold oh. on the side of the road in the, and just laying in the grass, and he looked like he was, like, happy as a clam. Hopefully that denim kept him warm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have woken him up. He was, he was blackout drunk. I'm assuming that's probably kind of the norm out there. Um, Wait, are you I mean, Logan? I, no, yeah, it's... You, you, know you got to drink a lot of beer in Utah to get that I lit. St- I still, I never have the rules right because I know Salt Lake, because of the Olympics, finally bumped up to sort of real beer. But you're mm. right, ABV in Logan mills, uh, st- might still be at like three six. Yeah, and then everything oh, on, like hard liquor is all on the gun, so you're not. There's no like port heavy. It's no. like you're going to get the exact amount that you're supposed to get. And when they get hard liquor. Oh, they get it. No, it's like they—they they are like we're we're drinking. The like, resurrection is coming when is, that happens. It is drinking <laughs> to get drunk.